Father, we just come to you today, and uh, as your word teaches us, Lord, uh, all of us have been appointed to good times and to bad times. Lord, we know that, that most of the life that we live in Christ is, seems to us to be a great blessing, Lord, but there are times when we're going to face very difficult trials. But as your word teaches us, and we're going to see today, those, those trials come to pass, Lord. They, they, they don't stay with us very long. And Lord, we know that whatever trial we're going through, that you're going to take us through that trial. You're going to be with us through that trial. And when we come out on the other side of that trial, Lord, that you're going to have made us uh, stronger in the faith, Lord. You're going to make us more settled in the faith. So we, we don't look for trials. We don't want trials, but we know that, that they work good in our lives. And we know that they all come to an end at some point, Lord. And and every trial will come to an end on that day when you come back to this earth with your church and all your saints. And that's, that's the great hope that we see in this text today. And so we just look forward to what you have for our lives now and what, for the lives that you have for us in the future when you rule and reign on this earth. And so, Lord, we just see a great hope in this text today and an encouraging hope. And so I just ask, Lord, that uh, anyone who's here today who's struggling through some type of very difficult trial, that, that you just encourage them, Lord, and anyone who's living life without you, that you encourage them to find Jesus Christ and, and make him Lord of their life so that, that every trial has a purpose and every trial has an end and every trial has, has, has hope. And so we just thank you for the hope we have in your word and for the hope that you're going to teach us today. Uh, we just ask that you bless this study. We ask that in Christ's name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of First Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians, and we'll be in chapter number 3 today. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 3. J. Vernon McGee used to tell the story about an old farmer who was asked one time what was his favorite passage in Scripture. And he said, my favorite passage in Scripture is whatever passage that says, that includes the phrase, it came to pass. It came to pass. And he, when he was asked why that was his favorite passage, he said, well, whenever I'm in trouble and I'm in a very difficult trial, I go to the Bible, I read it came to pass, and that tells me that this trial came to pass. It's not going to last forever. And, and there's, that's not good hermeneutics, by the way, but there is a lot of truth in what that old farmer believed. And that's what Paul's going to teach us today because he's, he's writing to the Thessalonians and they've gone through a very great period of testing, through many trials. And, and he's going to tell them that he knew they were going to go through these trials. And now that these trials have come to pass, uh, they're going to be better for it. And he wants to know how they're doing. And so, so that's his heart in chapter 3, is to know just how they fared through all of these trials. And, and there's lessons for us because all of us go through times of testing, through times of trials. And and, and all of those trials are going to pass, and when, the, when we get through those trials, we're going to be better off for it. Well, if you remember in the last part of chapter 2, Paul spoke of the plans that he had made to, to visit the Thessalonians, and, and remember how he said Satan had hindered him. Satan had hindered him from coming to see the Thessalonians, and he couldn't stand the thought. When he had left them, he had been run out of town, and, and he knew that they were going to be persecuted, and he couldn't stand the thought of not knowing how they had handled that trial, how they had come through that persecution. And so he sent Timothy to
to visit the church. And he, he talks about this beginning in verse 1 of chapter 3. He says in verse number 1, he says, Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we just couldn't stand it, we want to know how you guys were doing, we thought that it would be good to be left alone in Athens. Now, Paul was in Athens or in Corinth in that area at the time, and, uh, uh, you know, he was, him and Timothy were working together, but he was willing to let Timothy go in order to find out how the Thessalonians were doing. He says, and so we sent Timothy, verse number two, our, watch this, how he describes Timothy, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. Now, this description that Paul gives here of Timothy, and I want you to look at it carefully there, it's a great depiction of what every believer should be like in Jesus Christ. First of all, what was Timothy? He was a brother. As believers, we are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. We're to love each other like a brother. We're to treat each other, well, I don't know about that. We, we should treat each other like Christian brothers, uh, not maybe how we treat our own blood brothers but and our own blood sisters, but we should, we should show brotherly love for one another. So that's the first thing that you see about Timothy. Then he was a minister of God. He also was a minister of God. That word minister there is the Greek word diakonis. What, word, what English word do we get from that? Deacon. So here Timothy, what Timothy was, he was a servant of God to the servants of God. He was a deacon. He was a servant of God. He was a minister. And he was a fellow laborer in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, and so here he is. He's a laborer, in Jesus Christ, a laborer for Jesus Christ. And what's his primary work? What's Timothy's primary work in his labor? What, what's, what does he labor in the most? He labors in the gospel of Jesus Christ and also in building up the church. Because look at the last part of verse number two. To establish you, to build you up is the way you can translate that. And encourage you concerning your faith. So Timothy was not only a, a preacher of the gospel, he was also a discipler. He discipled new believers in Jesus Christ. He built these people up and encouraged these people in their faith. We should be that for everyone. We should be their brother, we should be their minister, and we should be their discipler, and we should be leading people to the Lord. I've had people from time to time tell me that, Pastor, you know, we need to be more involved in, in, in uh, the community affairs. We need to be more involved in the political arena, uh, maybe in some medical programs or medical ministries, some social programs. We need to be helping with world hunger. We need to be... Uh, helping with disaster relief. And there's a lot of disasters that have hit our country recently. And all of those things are good things. But that's not the primary work of a minister of Jesus Christ. And you are all ministers of Jesus Christ. You are all servants of Jesus Christ serving one another. What is your primary work? It's the same as Timothy's. And that's to get work, labor in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul didn't send Timothy to Thessalonica to, to get Republicans elected. That wasn't his purpose. It wasn't to feed the poor. It wasn't to fight abortion. It wasn't to repair earthquake damage. I mean, all of those things would have been good things, don't get me wrong, but that wasn't his primary labor. What was his labor in? It was in the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
in building up the church, in establishing the church of God in, sound, in the sound doctrine of the word and encourage them, encouraging them through the word of Jesus Christ. That is our primary mission as believers, okay? To labor in the gospel of Jesus Christ and to be disciples of, of those who are born again. All right, then look down at verse number three. He says that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. Now let's go back and read two. He says, and Timothy, we sent Timothy our brother and minister of God and fellow labor in the gospel of Jesus Christ to establish and encourage you concerning your faith that you wouldn't be shaken by these afflictions that you are going through. Now watch what he says. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. Now what are we appointed to? We are appointed to afflictions. Who's appointed us to afflictions? God has appointed us to afflictions. If you are a born-again believer, you have been appointed to, to face certain trials in your life. I mean, why? We live, one of the reasons is we live in a fallen world. The other reason is that God disciplines his own children. That's one of the reasons. And then he also wants to grow us up in Jesus Christ. So, so Paul's saying to these believers here that, hey, afflictions are coming to us all. We all face affl- afflictions. Isn't that what Jesus said? Jesus said, in this world you will have, not you might have, you will have many tribulations. You, you live in a fallen world. You live in a world that hates me. And so you're going to have many tribulations. You should expect that. But I love what Jesus added to that statement. He said, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And what was he saying there? He's saying, yeah, you're going to have afflictions, but these afflictions are going to pass. I mean, it will come to pass. Whatever you're going through will come to pass. I don't care what trial you're going through. And, and because these afflictions, we know that they've been appointed to us. That's what the verse says. We know that they have a purpose. And that purpose is to grow us up in Jesus Christ, to strengthen us, to make us stronger in our faith. And, and we also know, as Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, that we can do all things, that we can endure all things through who? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Why? Because he's overcome the world. Jesus Christ has overcome this world. And I don't care what trial you're going through or what trial you're about to go through because we're all appointed to afflictions. You know that you're going to have victory in that trial if you're a born-again believer because you are in Christ and Christ has overcome this world. Look at verse number four. He says, for in fact, we told you before when you were with us that we would all, I had the all there, we would all suffer tribulation just as it happened, just as it came to pass. And you know, you know this is true because it's happened to you. Look, when Paul shared the gospel with the Thessalonians, he didn't sugarcoat it. He didn't sugarcoat it with the promises that they were going to have health and wealth forever that they were going to have prosperity forever. He didn't do that at all. He made it clear that this world hates Christ, and because it hates Christ, it's going to hate you. Remember, remember what Paul said in 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy, rather? Those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus might suffer persecution. No, he said they will suffer persecution. And, and no, I don't want to amen that. I mean, I don't want persecution, but you better believe it's going to happen. And And... And it's going to happen just as 
Paul promised, just as Jesus promised. And here were these Thessalonian believers, and they were being persecuted for their faith. But it came to pass. It didn't last forever. It came to pass. And, and, and there'll be more trials. They had more trials coming. You've got more trials coming. But they will come to pass. So Paul says in verse number 5, and, and uh, uh, he says, For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith. I mean, Paul wanted to know how they had handled these trials. Trials for a believer are seasonal things. They don't last forever. Remember what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 5. He said, after you have suffered for a while, then you will be more established in your faith, you will be strengthened in your faith, and you will be settled in your faith. What's it mean to be settled in your faith? You know what happens when you go through trials? When you go through trials, when you go through, when God appoints trials for you, and there's nothing that comes your way that isn't filtered by a loving hand of God, Satan might bring that trial upon you, but it's coming through the loving hand of God. He's allowing, through his permissive will, he's allowing that trial. And what happens when you go through that trial, you, you, you're going to find out you're going to be with Christ through that trial, and you're going to stand in that trial. You're going to make it through. Now, you might make it through kicking and screaming, but I promise you when it's over, you're still going to be standing in Christ. You're going to be standing, and you're going to be, you're going to be settled in Christ. What's it mean to be settled in Christ? It means that you come to a point where you rest in him. You know, the more trials I go through in my life, and, I, man, I never want any trials. That's why I wouldn't say amen to trials. I don't want any trials. I don't ask for trials. I don't ask for you to go through trials. I hate it when you go through trials. I hate it when I go through trials. But when I go through a trial, every time I come through a trial, I, I can look back on that trial and say, man, look how the Lord got me through that. I mean, it was just a couple of years ago, I was told I had a few months to live. And that was a pretty, pretty heavy trial. I'm still here, by the way. I don't know if you've noticed it or not. I mean, God, God has, has kept me going. And he strengthened me through this. And you know what that's done for me? I don't want to go through that again. But that just built up my faith. And it settled me in my faith. What's it mean to be settled in your faith? It means you're resting in Christ. And when the next trial comes along, it, it can't be worse than that trial. I mean, some of you have gone through some things that are, that are really, really bad. But when you go through one of those major biggies, when you go through one of those major biggies and you come through it, man, let me tell you what that does. That settles you in Christ. You, want, you rest in Christ, and the little things come along, and they don't bother you near as much as they did before. And, and the more you rest in Christ, what happens when you rest in Christ? Then you have peace and you have joy, and that's where God wants you to be. He wants you to be settled. He wants you to rest. And those, and those people who go through trials, and they never come to a point where they rest, they end up like the Jews in the wilderness, and, and, and they fail to enter that rest because of their unbelief, and they die and they perish in that wilderness. You don't want to perish in the wilderness. You want to come out into the promised land. You want to come out on the other side where you can rest in the Lord and you can find that peace and joy that the Lord wants to give you. So Paul says, for, so here these guys had gone through these trials and he wanted to know how they were doing. He said, for this reason, when we couldn't no longer endure it, we want to know how you, if you guys had made it or not. Because let me tell you something. 
If you go through a trial and you walk away from your faith, you don't have faith. Because it's God who keeps you through that trial. It's God who strengthens you through that trial, establishes you through that trial, who settles you through that trial. And those people who go through a trial and then they walk away from their faith, let me tell you what, they never had any faith to start with. And Paul had left this young church after only being there four weeks, and he wanted to know if anybody had made it through. The good news, they all had made it through. But, but he wanted to know. He says, for this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, had it stood, lest by some reason the devil had tempted you, the tempter had tempted you, and he had tried you, and he had sifted you, and you had failed the test. And, and then what would that mean for us? That would mean that all that work that we had done, all that work that we had done was in vain. I mean, these trials had come to pass. They had passed. And Paul wanted to know, did they make it through? Did they make it through? And who had brought these trials upon them? The devil had brought the Jews and the Romans, but it was the devil who had brought them, brought them this trial. But you know really who brought this trial upon the Thessalonians? God did. Because the devil can't touch you unless, the God allows him, unless God allows him to touch you. You remember when Peter was bragging about how he wasn't going to, you know, he wasn't ever going to deny the Lord and right before he denied the Lord? And the Lord said, the devil desires to sift you. He desires to try you and test you. And you remember what Jesus said about that? He said, I pray that you get out of this trial and it doesn't happen. That isn't what he prayed, was it? No, he prayed that your faith stands, that you don't lose your faith. When it's all over, Peter, that you still believe in me. Lord doesn't pray something he doesn't get. And he prayed that for Peter, and Peter failed miserably. But when it was all over, he still had faith in Christ. He still had that faith because that faith was a gift of God, not of works. It was something God had given him. And so here were these believers and Paul wasn't certain that they were believers, but they were being sifted by the devil, and he wanted to know if they had made it through, if their faith still stood, if they still were born-again believers. I mean, they weren't unborn again. They were never born again if it failed. But he wanted to know if they truly were born again, if they truly had faith in Christ. Because I've got to tell you, there is nothing that discourages you more if you're a minister, and again, I say all of you are ministers. All of you have probably led somebody to the Lord, or you've tried to lead somebody to the Lord. Nothing discourages you more than to pour your heart out into somebody's life and to, and to, and to lead them to the Lord and to teach them about the Word, or teach them the Word and teach them about the Lord. Nothing discourages you more when you hear that they've walked away from the faith. And I see that all the time. I mean, I'll see people that you minister to for, for years in, 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 in this church, and then all of a sudden, next thing you know, they're, they're, they're gone, and they're, they're, they're leading a lifestyle. You know they're not born again. They never were born again. And that's discouraging. Nothing encourages you more than to see somebody who says they're a believer, and you find out they truly are a believer, because when the trials come and they get sifted, they stand tall in their faith, and they make it through strong in their faith. And that encourages you. So Paul, so Paul, he's going to end up encouraged here. Look at what happens, verse number six. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, from you and brought us the good news of your faith and love and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see, as, see us as we also see you. 
These believers, these believers in Thessalonica could have cared less about Paul if their faith wasn't real. But because their faith was real, they saw Paul as their spiritual father, and they couldn't wait to see Paul. And that encouraged Paul. You know, I've known people who you've, you've seen the trials come their way, and I hate to see anybody go through a trial. But I've seen people, that the trials come, they, they come to church, they come to church for a while, and then that tough trial comes, and they get mad at the Lord, and they walk away. And they get bitter. And some of them even become haters of God. They become haters of the church. They become haters of Christians. And it's so encouraging when somebody goes through something really difficult. At some point, all of you are going to go through a very difficult trial. And I can tell you right now, when that trial is over, I will be able to tell a, a lot about your faith. Is it real? You know, we can all come to church on Sunday and sort of sing these songs and, and pretend to listen and, and do whatever. But, but when the trials come, that's where you really find out where the rubber meets the road. That's where you really find out whether or not somebody's a born-again believer or not. And, and, and Paul, Paul was so encouraged because these guys had gone through the trials. They were standing tall, this little bitty church in Thessalonica. They were being heavily persecuted. And what were they wanting? They were wanting to see Paul, this one who had led them to the Lord. Then in verse number 7, he says, Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by our faith. It's, 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 Paul says here, you know, your trials came, they came to pass, and when they passed, you were standing tall. And that comforted us in our, look at what he says, in our affliction and distress. We were encouraged to go on. You know, you're encouraged to go on when you see people getting this stuff. When you see people interested in this stuff, it encourages you to go on. When you see it changing people's life, it encourages you to go on. You know, I like playing individual sports. I like to play golf and I like to play tennis. But you will never learn the lessons in the individual sports that you learn in team sports. In team sports, when one player hurts, they all hurt. When one player, when one player uh, is, is nasty and bad, it affects the whole team. When you got a player who gives his best, and sticks it out and doesn't quit no matter what he what comes his way, even if he's on the bench. I mean, those guys like Rudy, they encourage everybody to go on and to do better. And that's the way the church is. We're a team. And when we see somebody who's, who's doing the right thing, and we see them trying, and we see them on fire for the Lord, that encourages us in our affliction and in our stress. And so Paul was encouraged by these believers. And in verse number 8, he says, For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. That's a strange statement. You see, you understand what Paul's saying? We live if you stand fast in the Lord. I mean, was he going to die if these guys walked away? He wasn't going to die physically. But Paul's whole life was wrapped up in winning people to the Lord, in encouraging people in strengthening people in the faith. That was his whole thing. And so, so that was his purpose, that was his joy, and that was his calling. And l listen to me. Listen to me very carefully. The Bible's clear. Without a vision, the people perish. They perish. You die. You might not die physically. I mean, I, 
I was reading through the book of Numbers yesterday, and I was thinking about the Israelites and, and how, how happy they were when they were thinking about going to the promised land and how excited they were. But then they saw the giants and the trials came, and they didn't want to go anymore. And so they backed out. And, and then they spent 40 years in the wilderness without a vision, perishing. They were alive, but they were perishing. And so, so life without joy and without fulfillment of purpose, let me tell you what it is. It's death. If you have no vision, you're living a life of death. You're just dying slowly. And so Paul's whole vision and his whole purpose was getting these believers to stand fast in the Lord. And so he says, if you stand fast, we live. We're excited about life. And then he says in verse number nine, he says, he says, for what thanks can we render to God for you? For all the joy which we rejoice for your sake before God. You know what Paul said right here? He says that you believers by your faith that you exercised or you showed through these trials that came to pass. He says, by your faith, you've given us hope. You've caused us to rejoice in God. And so we give thanks to God for you. And and here's Paul praying again. Look at the prayer that he prays beginning in verse number 10. He says, night and day, we, we are praying exceedingly that we may see your face, and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Night and day. You know, does Paul say that anywhere else in the Bible? I mean, over and over again, he talks about praying without ceasing. For for the Thessalonians, for the Philippians, for the Corinthians, as bad as they were, for the Galatians. Man, he had to do a lot of praying if he was serious about this, and I think he was serious about it. He says, night and day we prayed for you exceedingly so that we might see you and perfect what was lacking in your faith. In other words, we had laid the foundation of your faith when we gave you the gospel those few weeks we were there, but we didn't get get to stay there enough. And so we're praying night and day that God would send us back to you so that... that, uh, we could come to you and build upon the foundation that was laid earlier. Now, he shares this prayer, the specifics of this prayer, beginning in verse number 11. He says, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. Now, Paul, does he name it and claim it here? Does he say, God's going to get us there? Uh, we, we, by faith, we believe God's going to, going to direct our way to you? No, he doesn't name and claim it. He just asks that the Lord, if he's willing, please, Lord, help us make our way to them so that we can help these Thessalonians. Now, i got to believe that God wanted him to help the Thessalonians. I don't know that he ever made it back there. But, but we, we're in a battle. And sometimes Satan wins parts of the battle, and sometimes we win part of the battle. God ultimately, and you're going to see what this is worth is heading, God ultimately wins all the battle, or wins the war. He, he, he makes all the battles work for his glory. So, but he's, and that's why he says, in the meantime, in verse number 12, we're praying that may the Lord make you increase. Here's what we want to happen. If we can't get there and build up your faith, if we can't give you more doctrine, if I can't, you know, I'm going to send you some letters, read these letters, read some of these doctrinal letters, 
and, 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 and I won't be able to speak to you face to face, but, but no matter what happens, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and to all, just as we love you. In other words, just as we seek your welfare, if nothing else, seek the welfare of one another. Take care of each other. That's what agape love is. Agape love is looking out for one another. It's seeking the best. It's loving your neighbor as yourself. And Paul wants them, if nothing else, if you can't become a theologian, I want you to become a lover of the people of God. So verse number 13, and here's, he finishes it up here. So that he may establish your heart blameless in holiness before our God and Father in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Let me, let me read that one more time. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Here's what Paul's doing here. He's finishing this chapter. He's closing this prayer with the main theme of the book of Thessalonians. What's the main theme? The main theme of this book is the hope that we have in the second coming of Jesus Christ. The hope that we have in the rapture. That's the main theme of 1 Thessalonians. i got to tell you something. That's the main theme of the Bible. That's why when we get to Revelation, what is the Revelation? The Revelation is the apocalypse. What's the word apocalypse? It means the revelation. The revelation of who? The revelation of Jesus Christ. And so what he's saying here, he's praying for these believers. Look, we want to come see you. Well, with all our heart, we want to come see you. We want to establish you in the doctrine so that you can live a strong Christian life. But if we can't make it there, we want you to love one another. But, but, and, and you're probably going to face some more trials and get ready for those trials. But remember this. You have a great hope, and that hope is in the fact that Jesus Christ is coming for you. He's going to come for you when you die. He's going to come for If you don't die, he's going to come for you in the rapture. And then one day you will be with him and you will be established perfectly. Uh, you will be perfect in all ways. When you see him, you will be like him and you will come with him when he comes to rule and reign on this earth. That's the great hope that you have in Jesus Christ. That's the same hope that we have. Amen? Amen. Good. I mean, what encouraging words that he gives, these, gives us in this prayer as he prays these encouraging words for these Thessalonians. What he's saying here is that no matter how difficult your trials are, no matter what you're going through, they are going to pass. They are coming to pass. And since your faith is real, uh, you are going to be presented holy and blameless before the Lord Jesus Christ, before the Father at his coming. When? When is that going to happen? At his coming. When is this coming? When is this coming? Well, let me tell you what. His coming for you might be this afternoon. His coming for, for you might be when you die. He'll be there. You'll see him. To be absent from the body. To be present with the Lord. I mean, that's, that's, that's why Solomon says the day of your death is better than the day of your birth. 
You, you need, you'll be celebrating your death day in heaven more than your birthday. We'll be given death day presents instead of birthday presents. And look who he's coming with. He's coming with a few of his saints. What's it say there? All of his saints. What's all mean in the Greek? All. He's coming with all of his saints. All of his saints, all believers, all of those who are born again, all of those who have been made holy and blameless in Christ. Who makes us saints? Do we make ourselves saints by being good little boys and girls, by feeding the poor, by, by marching against the abortion clinics, by doing whatever we do out there in the world, by, by disaster relief? What makes us holy and blameless? The blood of Jesus Christ. That's what makes us holy and blameless. The church doesn't make you a saint. That There's not some great official in the church that makes you a saint. The blood of Jesus Christ makes you saints. Let me read to you from Hebrews chapter 10. By one offering, what offering was that? The blood of the cross, by, the, by Jesus Christ on that cross. By one offering, he has sanctified for how long? Forever those who believe in him. He's made you perfect forever. If Once you believe in Christ, you have been perfected forever in Christ. You have been made a saint. That's what the, that's the, hagios is translated saint elsewhere in the Bible. It's the same word that's trans, translated sanctified. It's the same word that's translated holy. You've been made a saint once and for all by the offering of Jesus Christ. That's the only way you can be made a saint is by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says. And all his saints will be with him when he returns. Now I want you to think about that logically. When is he going to return? When he returns with all the saints, when is that? That's at the end of the great tribulation. Now, if he returns with all his saints at the end of the great tribulation, that tells me this. It tells me there's got to be a rapture. There's got to be a rapture. People who say there's no rapture of the church aren't reading their Bible because he returns with all his saints. He returns with every single one of his saints, either the ones who have dead and gone on to be with the Lord are those who are raptured to meet him in the air. He takes them back to heaven. We go to the wedding supper of the Lamb for seven years while the great tribulation is going on on this earth, and then we return with him to rule and reign on this earth, to rule and reign with him forever. Let me tell you something. We, 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 just, we, we, we push this doctrine aside and we, we don't ponder it enough. I mean, the return of Jesus Christ for his church is the great hope that sustains us through any trial. Look, I know there's people in this room right now, you, you've gone through some things that can't be fixed. You, you, you talk about someone who's lost a child, that can't be fixed in this life. And I've never lost a child, but I can't imagine. I, I've been told that that pain never goes away if you've lost a child. You might have lost a child even worse. You might have lost a child of the devil. And they might not ever get saved. And you say to yourself, that, you know, man, I, that trial's been going on, and that trial's been going on for years, and it's going to keep going on. I mean, that's, that's never going to be fixed. Listen, everything's going to be fixed. Everything's going to be fixed because every trial has come to pass. They have all come to pass. 
They're not going to last forever. One day Jesus is coming back to this earth, and he's coming back very soon, and he's going to make all things right on this earth. All things right on this earth. And it's probably sooner than we think. You know, I remember when I was in officer candidate school at Fort Benning, Georgia, and I remember the first day there, walking into the mess hall, and on the walls of that mess hall were these very large letters. There was this phrase written there in letters about six feet tall. They really wanted to emphasize it. But the, word, the phrase was, all things must pass. Well, the first day there, I wonder what in the world they wrote that on the wall for. It didn't take me long to figure out. When those TAC officers got a hold of us and, and we went to all that training and, and all the running that we had to do and all the terrible things that, that took place in those months that I were there, I remember every day going into that mess hall and looking up at those words and reminding myself that all things must pass. As difficult as that situation was, and that was probably the most difficult, one of the most difficult situations in my life, I knew that one day, man, it seemed like it was going to go on forever, but I knew that one day that that trial, that experience, was going to pass because it came to pass. I don't know what you're going through today. And you might be going through some difficult situation that seems like it's never going to pass. That it's here forever. It's not. It came to pass. You might have to wait a while. You might even have to wait till the Lord returns. Some situations we're in just not going to get changed until the Lord returns. But one day, it too will pass because all things have come to pass. And the question is, where will your faith be? What will be the position of your faith when that trial passes? I mean, here in America, we don't know too much about trials. But I guarantee you, at some point in everyone's life, and this, everyone in this room, in your life, you're going to face something that more difficult than you can possibly imagine. And the question is, when that trial's over, in the midst of that trial, where are you going to be? Are you going to be standing fast in the Lord? Are you going to be made stronger by that trial? Are you going to be made settled? Are you going to be settled? through that trial. I'll tell you what, if you're a born-again believer, let me tell you what, the answer is yes. Because who establishes our heart in trials? Who makes us stand in trials? Who settles us in trials? It's the Lord who 
settles us and keeps us through trials. It's God who has made us blameless. It's God who has made us saints. And he's going to keep us that way forever. That's why the reformers believed in the perseverance of the saints. Because if you don't persevere, you're not a saint. You don't persevere because of your own efforts. You persevere because you're with the Lord. But if you're with the Lord, you are going to persevere. All things must pass. All trials have come to pass. Let's go to the Lord. Father, we just thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We thank you for for the hope we have in the fact that, Lord, you're the one who makes us saints. You're the one who makes us blameless in your sight. You're the one who will help us stand in trials and keep us standing. Lord, you're the the one who will keep us blameless. You're the one who will settle us. Lord, so encourage us all with the fact that every trial that we face, everything that we go through, has been appointed by you, just as your word says, and it will come to pass. It will pass, Lord, and we'll be stronger for it. Lord, we just thank you for the great uh, privilege of being your children. If there's anyone here today, Lord, who doesn't know Christ as their Savior, I just ask that, Lord, you, you put them in the position where they can face life with joy and peace and with purpose as the Apostle Paul did and as these believers in Thessalonica did. Lord, and that can only come through our relationship with you. And so I just ask that you just just bless everyone here, Lord, to, to know that uh, you're with us through whatever we go through. And, and we just thank you for that. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.